Let me go ahead and read our passage for today. John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. This is the word of the Lord. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, thankful for another day. You've set aside one in seven for us to worship you in spirit and in truth, to be washed in the water of your word, to uh, rest in you, to forsake the cares of this world so that we may be strengthened, encouraged, nourished, and be sent back out to be poured out again. So Lord, we just pray through this time that as we get into your word and uh, your, your spirit speaks to us, that it convicts us, it encourages us, it it brings to light potential areas that we need light brought to, uh, but that ultimately, Lord, you are glorified through this time, that it draws us closer to you. It, it gives us a better understanding of who you are and um, that we just rejoice in the good things that you have done for us as you have revealed yourself through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks for all of these things. Amen. All right, so last week we talked about the promised joy that was set before us and how it was through pain we see God clearly and rely on him more and more in our daily lives. Uh, the sermon summary for that was uh, pain is promised, it has purpose, and it leads us to prayer. And it seemed to me that last week and this week they, they go together and, and last week kind of set the framework uh, for the, the end of chapter 16. It gives us the big picture of, uh, you know, the keep these things in mind type of sermon and encouragement. And then this week, we're kind of filling in the blanks and kind of getting more to the heart of what Jesus is talking about uh, directly. And since that's the way Jesus, uh, I believe Jesus has spoken to us in this passage, that's the direction that I will be taking. So um, we're going to spend some time talking about the state of mind of the disciples in these three different scenarios that the disciples find themselves in uh, today. And so my hope is that uh, we don't think about this sermon in the sense that, man, I know somebody that needs to hear this. Uh, but that we think of ourselves and, okay, I, I'm here for a specific reason. What is God trying to reveal to me through his word? So as we do that, we're going to look at three different points. Uh, those points are the state of mind of the disciples in the present moment when Jesus is speaking to them, uh, the state of mind that the disciples will find themselves when he is taken from them, and then the state of mind of the disciples when they are sent out into the world. So we're going to do this by uh, looking verse, first at verses 25 through 32, the largest chunk of the passage, and then we're going to spend our last two points speaking of verse 33. And so this, let's go ahead and get into the first uh, part of this, the state of mind of the disciples in the present uh, moment. 
So as I had mentioned last week, this is the uh, upper room discourse is what this is called. Some people call it the farewell discourse. It's the, the final hurrah that Jesus has given with his disciples. They've had dinner. Uh, he's washed their feet. He's, he's kind of given them the final touches on his, his earthly ministry. It's kind of like when we give a sermon and, and, if, and if we give the at, the, at the end of the sermon, we're saying something like, well, if you don't remember anything else that we've said today, remember these, these things. It's kind of like that. So in this time, he's, he's, remember, or excuse me, he's reminding them uh, that the hour is drawing near. He keeps telling them that this hour is drawing near. And uh, as he mentioned back in verse 12, he had said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus is being very intentional in what he's told them up until this point and what he's revealing to them in this time. But he can only reveal so much to them in this time. And then there's going to be a time later on where he will reveal more through his Holy Spirit. So the big takeaway that we see or that we're going to focus on here in these first uh, uh, seven verses in verses 25 through 22 or 32 is going to be found in verse 32 specifically. There's a ton of stuff that can be spoken on, but we got 30, 40 minutes to to get through it all. So we're not going to cover everything. There's there's a lot. But uh, I do believe the big takeaway that we that we have here is found in verse 32. So verse 32, the disciples find some, um, as we get to verse 32, the disciples find some comfort or peace or just this, uh, their, their trust is more solidified in Jesus after he lets them know that this figurative speech that he's using has ceased and he's no longer going to be speaking to them in parables or uh, complex ways. He's not hiding anything within a, a illustration that he's given. But in typical Jesus fashion, as they make this statement to him, he calls out this vain sense of uh, faith that's displayed in the disciples. Now, this may be a little confusing as I'm saying this to, to see this, but as we read in verse 29 and 30, this is what the disciples say. They say, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus responds to that by saying, do you now believe? So what Jesus is getting across in this moment where they've said, okay, now we know. Now we know that you are God. After everything that they've been through, now they, they know. Uh, Jesus isn't rebuking them in the sense that, that they lack faith or that they, he's denying their faith in any, any stretch like that. But what he's rebuking is their faith in their faith. He's, they're putting their confidence in their faith. This was brought up first with Peter uh, whenever he said, you know, like when Jesus had told him earlier in a... Uh, it was in Matthew, but in the, in the Last Supper, during that time, we get, a, we get a picture of that in Matthew of what, Paul, uh, excuse me, what Peter says to him. He says, you know what, all these other disciples, they'll fall away from you. They're, they're going to leave and run, but me, I'm solid, right? I'm staying here. I'm, I, they can all go, but I'm going to be here. And this was, this was Peter trusting in himself, trusting that he is going to be there for Jesus. But we know that that wasn't the case for Peter. He, Jesus tells him, He's going to, you're going to end up denying me three times. And so Peter was the first one to give us an example of this faith in their faith. But we get a peek into the hearts of the rest of the disciples here in John 16, uh, where they too believe that their faith in their faith has become solid. Now, the reason I say that is because I I think this is something that uh, was brought to my attention just honestly a couple months ago, and I never really put too much thought in it. And uh, so maybe this is a, a new concept for you. But think about it this way. Have you ever... Has this ever been an issue for you? Have you ever had your faith rattled or you've sinned deeply or you've hit this rough patch 
and then you're just not sure how you're going to get through it, uh, but you're, you tell yourself, you know what, like, I've got faith, and, and that's going to see me through this time. Or if someone else has encouraged you, like, hey, just have faith, you'll get through this. Believe in yourself. You know, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're always right. You know, things like that where they're telling you to kind of trust in yourself. This is the type of thinking that the disciples have in this time. And it was wrong for, it's, it's, excuse me, it's wrong for us to think that way, and it was wrong for them to think this way as well. And I think we see Jesus calling them out in verse 32 as far as this is concerned, because we see what he says here. It says this, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Right, this is right after the disciples said, you know what, now we believe. Right, now we believe that you're the Son of God. Because you have said these things, you're no longer speaking, speaking to us in this way. We believe you now. But then Jesus tells them, look, this hour is coming and you're going to flee. I, I think it's pretty straightforward. You know, he's, he's telling them, do you now this is what it's taken for you to believe? You're so proud of yourself and, and, and what you've come to, the, 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 um, the, the type of, of heightened intellect that you've come to. But this, this proud uh, knowledge that you have is going to be tested and you're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me alone is what he says. Now, Something that I've thought about with this is that, and, and something to kind of remind ourselves, is we're not saved by or we're not maintained by our faith and our faith. We don't cling to our faith as a means to find peace or comfort or joy in this life. That's not where our hope is found. But in this moment, the, the state of the disciples in this present moment was to cling to their faith uh, as a means to find this comfort and peace of mind during these impending trials that they would soon find themselves in. Now, this may not be super clear yet, and you may be scratching your head because I haven't heard any amens yet, right? But uh, we're going to get there, right? Just, just, just continue walking with me. So let's look at verse 33. Why do I say that? Why, why am I saying no faith in your faith and, and this and that? Because I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. So let's look at verse 33. What does verse 33 say? Because this is where the state of the disciples or the state of the mind of the disciples uh, where he's taking them or when he's taken from them, excuse me. Jesus says this, and I think this is going to kind of open our eyes to it. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Right? Jesus is telling them that in me you will have peace. In Christ is where you find peace. Now, when he says this, that you may have peace, it, the, the word in the original language is a little more definitive than this. It's more of a you will have peace. It's not faith in faith. Right? You're not finding your faith in your faith. You're finding your faith in Christ. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, this is kind of splitting hairs, you know, like, I mean, my, my faith is in Christ, and I possess it, and, and things like that, but I think this is a, a, an important distinction for us to make, and as Protestants, right, whenever there was a separation from the Roman Catholic Church, it was because we made distinctions in, in, a, in lots of doctrines, because the Bible makes distinctions, right? We know the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, it divides, right, it separates truth from falsehood. And so if there's some distinctions that need to be made, we need to make them. And so I do believe this is something that potentially hinders some of us in our walk. I, I know certainly uh, there's people that this hinders them in their walk. So the question that I wanted to ask was, uh, was this, to kind of put our, wrap our minds around this idea of not putting our faith in our faith and having our faith in Christ. What happens to you when you sin or you have a habitual sin that you can't seem to kick? Right. Just think about that state of mind that you go to whenever there's a sin, you're caught in the sin or, or whatever, or there's a habitual sin that you keep doing over and over again. 
what's the first thing that comes to some of your minds? Well, I must not really be saved, right? I must not actually be saved. If, if, if I'm sinning in this way, I must not actually be a believer. Now, I think if we are, if our mind goes that way, I'd like to ask you, is your faith in your faith or is it in Christ? Are you clinging to your faith or are you clinging to your faith in Christ? Are you clinging to him? Have you thought about that? Because I think that's really, really important for us to think about. If salvation is of the Lord, then it is him and him alone who holds it, holds it secure. If it is me that saved myself, then it's me who holds me secure. So where is my faith found? Right? Am I trusting in my faith in Christ or am I trusting in Christ? I think this is really, really important for us to, to understand because it is a distinction that some of us need to make to find true peace and comfort in Christ. So this is what Jesus is saying in this, in this verse. He has said these things to you so that in Christ you may have peace, right? Not in yourself, right? They came to this conclusion, oh, now, now we believe. Now, now I know that you're God. Well, no, no, no. Now you believe? Who, who have I revealed myself to be this whole time? I have come to you. I've shared these things with you to, so that in me you may find peace. Now, our peace is not found in how much patience we have with people, in our maturity, in how much we read the Bible. It's not found in our problems going away. It is found in our God and our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. It is in him we find peace, which means we cannot find true peace anywhere else. Amen? I knew that amen was coming. It just, it just took a little while to get there, right? But as, as the saying goes, know Jesus, right? If we know Jesus, we know peace. If, we, if there's no Jesus, there is no peace. Now, it's a cliche, but it's true, right? When, when it's true, it's true. So what is peace, right? If, if peace is found in Christ and in him alone, what is peace? What does it look like? What kind of peace is Jesus offering to us? Well, peace in the original language, where, where this word is pulled from, it, it carries the meaning of a soul assured of salvation. That, that's what this peace is referring to. Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no animosity. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no feeling of an uphill battle that we're still going through. Right? We have been assured of our salvation. There is peace there is calmness, there's serenity, there is tranquility, uh, there's gladness. Whatever other adjective that you want to throw in there, that's what we have in Christ. It's not a ceasefire where there is a temporary halt in warfare, but an actual resolution of a previous conflict. Now, an example of this, I think, that, that helps us is if you've ever found yourself in a situation where someone has sinned against you, right? Not just hurt your feelings or whatever, but like actually sinned against you. And then you go to that person in private, right? It's, it's nerve wracking. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's difficult to do, but you do it, right? You humble yourself. You bring this concern to your brother or sister in Christ. You explain to them what they did to you, what it meant. They repent of those things, and then there's this reconciliation, that, that feeling that you get whenever, that relief that comes whenever this has been brought up. They repent of that sin, and there's this reconciliation. Even that feeling, it's great. It's a great feeling to have whenever a brother has been restored. It's something to rejoice in, 
But even that is just a, a taste of the peace that we get when Christ forgives us of our sins. Like it's just a, it's just a little glimmer of that. And, and that's the peace that Christ gives us. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's that joy that we receive that's unspeakable. This is what Christ offers. This is what he makes available, and it's only available exclusively through him. And you will never, ever, 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 ever find it anywhere else. Right? You, you won't find it anywhere else. You can try um, in, in anything. Anything in creation is going to fall short. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we find true peace. Now, this peace is what is granted to his people as we trust in him. But this peace that comes along, uh, but this is a peace that comes along with our faith and, and in, it's found in him and it's powerful and it's very helpful as we go through these trials. But God in Christ has also made a promise to us uh, that while we live this life that he has called us to live, uh, there's, there's more to this. And so this is where we get into our, our third point. So let's look at the state of mind that the disciples find themselves in as they are sent out into the world. Right? We've talked about their, their immediate state of mind where they are about to be. And then we're going to look at where they'll find themselves whenever Christ is resurrected and he sends them out to, to do their, uh, what they're called to do as apostles. So the second half of verse 33 says this, In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, my translate, the ESV says tribulation, some say trouble, and I forget what, I, I forgot the other, you know, other ways that this word is translated, but what are tribulations? Well, it carries the meaning of this like heavy pressure or being squeezed down. Uh, metaphorically, it kind of takes the, the understanding of oppression or trouble or affliction. And so ultimately, what this is referring to is persecution, is what it's talking about. This pressure force upon the disciples as they are sent out to spread the good news of the resurrected Christ. They are, they are about to go out into the darkness, right, as light into the world. And as this light goes out into a dark place and exposes darkness, exposes evil ways of the world, people are going to hate that because they love their wicked ways. Now, we must also be aware of this, that this, is a common, this should be a common occurrence for us as well as we present the gospel. Right? It's nice when we spent last weekend or two weeks, well, yeah, last weekend, we went out holding these signs and they basically laid out the gospel message 99% of people were giving us thumbs up and, and honking their horns, right, in, in approval of what we were doing. But there was one guy that cussed us, cussed us out and then another person who, who yelled, Hail Satan, right? So there was just two that were kind of mocking what we were doing out there. But for the most part, it was, but we live in the Bible Belt. We live in America, right? Everyone's a Christian here. Everyone's a Christian here. So, like, it's, it's usually acceptable behavior to talk about gospel truths in, in a general sense. And so... Uh, so, yeah, we're kind of we're very fortunate in that sense that it's not costing us our lives to go out there and, and do that. But we, we should not be surprised when it when it happens. I mean, that if, if people were being honest and, and had a license to respond in the way that they would like to respond without any repercussions, we would probably see a different result from uh, us holding these signs out there. But what Jesus is telling us, he says, take heart. Be of good cheer. Understand this one thing. Christ has overcome the world. It's not matter what the world does to you. He has overcome the world. Not me, not you, not, not any of us. He has overcome the world. Right? I love the way that Jesus describes the way that he conquered sin and death in John 10. Uh, in verses seven and, excuse me, 17 and 18, he says this. John 10, 
verse 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It literally means myself. I lay down my life myself. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. All right, this is the authority that he has. No one takes his life from him. He does it himself. So what does that tell us? Well, the death that Jesus is about to experience may look like Judas's betrayal of him, may look like the, the Pharisees uh, conspiring to kill him for whatever reason that, that they are coming up with in their own minds. But ultimately, this is playing out exactly the way that Jesus saw fit for it to play out. There are no surprises with him. This is exactly how they were to happen. He was to lay down his life that way that he would take it up again. And why would he do that? Well, he just told us because he has overcome this world. He has conquered this world. And something that we should consider when we're thinking about our lives and the way that we go through this life is that when it comes to good and evil, godly and ungodly, there is no yin and yang, right? There, there is no dualism or an equal balance of good and evil forces where you know, we have to try to maintain a balance or try to overcome evil with good by, by having this, the, the balanced scale uh, tipping in favor of good. That's not who God is. God is, is supreme. He, he is over everything and then there's everything else. This is not a, uh, when I mentioned earlier, a dualistic world that we live in where there's just two opposing forces that are equal. This isn't a deistic universe where God created all things and then he sits over his creation and lets us do what we please. If, if we lived in either one of those universes, there would be no reason for us to listen to anything he had to say, right? I mean, there, there'd be no reason for us to listen to anything. Well, if you're not involved or, you know, the, the, the scale can tip based on my actions one way or another, there is no security in anything that he has to say. But what we know is true is God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is unchanging. He is who he is. He is the great I am. So that's who God is. That's why he is overcomer, right? He can say he's overcome these things. This is why in him we can find peace. This is why it's in him that we place our faith. So I want to try to, we're about halfway, a little over halfway through our time, and I want to spend the rest of our time talking about um, applying this, right, the application portion portion of our of our message and so with all of this in mind as we've talked through these things where does this leave us today right where do we find ourselves as we look at these three points that we've talked about the present state of mind of the disciples where he's about to take them and then where they will eventually live the rest of their lives how does this apply to me what does this even mean for me today uh, because we see the way it played out for the, the the disciples all of them but John have lost their life for Christ they were all martyred uh, except for him. He died in old age and isolation, which isn't much better. Uh, but they all experienced um, tribulations throughout their life. So how I want to apply this is go back to the questions that we asked to, to answer or ask some of these questions to go through this passage. So this is the first one. First one. Yeah. Is your faith in your faith or is it in Christ? Right. Is your faith in your faith or in Christ? Another way to word this question is, do you believe in yourself more than you believe in Christ? Now, that answer, of course, right, we're in church, so we're going to say, no, of course not. It's, it's in Jesus. I don't trust in myself. That, that's the, the natural way that we will answer this. So, yeah, yeah, of course, it's, it's in Jesus, of course. But I think if we are doing some soul searching, if we're examining ourselves, this is something 
that all of us do. Now, how do I know this or why do I believe I know this? Well, I'll ask you this question. What frustrates you? What, what in this life just, just frustrates you as, as it happens? That may be an area where you're trusting in yourself too much to achieve a desired result instead of trusting in Christ and being faithful with your time. No? Okay, maybe that's just me, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's just me. Um, in your parenting, right? Those of us who are parents here, um, I'll say this for myself. If I have gone off the rails in my frustration towards my kids because they've either offended each other in some way, uh, broken something, uh, offended my wife, or offended me, right, and my anger is against them because they've offended me, I think this is a good sign of where my trust is. Because I am mad that you have offended me, but in, if I was mad that you have offended God, it'd be a whole different scenario. A whole different story if that was the case, right? If, when, I'm, when someone offends me, I am really upset. Like, I, I do not, don't try me, right? That's, that, I don't want that. But when someone offends God that I know, like, they've offended the creator of this universe. Like, that makes me have pity on them, makes me want to show them mercy by pointing them back to Christ so that they will repent of that sin and find reconciliation in Christ because that, that is not a good place to find yourself in. Right, you offend me, I'm just another person, right? I'm going to eventually offend you. It's going to happen, so whatever. But if, if my mind and, and my trust is in him, right, that, that outlook is going to be a, a whole lot different because I want retribution. I want justice, right? That's what I want for myself. But if it's against Christ, I, I, am, I should be seeking to show you mercy so that you don't get justice. You don't get retribution for what you've done. If it's personal, that's, that's the way we feel. If it's against God, it's, it's, it's a completely different thing. This is why the, uh, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It is a, it's a different thing. Second question, where do I find peace in these things or in Christ? Is it when, I, when I'm looking for peace, when I'm trying to gain a better understanding of who I am and, and, or if I'm angry and I'm trying to find my uh, whatever, nirvana, zen, you know, my place of, of comfort or whatever. Like, as I'm doing this, what am I doing? Where, where am I finding peace? Is it going to be in things, right? Am I finding it in things? Like, I just need to go listen to this song, and that's going to kind of zone me out and allow me to think this, or I need to go eat some chocolate, or I need to go for a run, right? There's, there's lots of things that, like, once I do this thing, I'll be at peace, is it in those things or is it in Christ? I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Another way to ask it may be, do I find myself saying, if, if I only had this, I'd be okay. Or if you would just leave me alone, right? If you just give me five minutes, right? If, if, if we find ourselves saying that, I think it would let us know where we are finding peace. Remember what Jesus said, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. So are you finding peace in Christ? Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's not found anywhere else. The fullness of joy is found in Christ. 
right? I mean, we can watch movies, we can listen to music, we can spend time with each other, we can eat good food, we can go exercise. Man, there's tons of wonderful things that God has done for us in this life. But if they all, all of them, pale in comparison to finding that joy that is found in Christ and in him alone. Final question, do you believe that Christ has overcome this world? Right, he said it. Do we believe that that is true? He says he has, do you believe it? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the question. I don't, I don't have an answer for you, right? You've got to answer that for yourself. I think that'll, that'll show itself um, as we do anything that we do. Do we understand that Christ has overcome this world? My actions will reflect that. Christ is the answer to every problem that you'll ever face. Every, every problem, every last one of them. Right, what's two plus two? Well, it's only true because Christ is king. I mean, it, there's only logic in this world because he is king. It's not chaos that created order. God created order, right? It is him and him alone. He has overcome this world. So that's, 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 the, final, that's the final answer, right? Uh, Christ, he, that, that is him and it's in him alone that we find our hope, um, that, that, that we should have our faith in, everything. And so that is my time. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much. We thank you that in spite of our shortcomings, that you have overcome this world. God, it was, it's us and our sin that's part of this world that you had to conquer. We are conformed to the ways of this world, um, but we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We need to understand that it is you that is God and it's you that has commanded us uh, to live in a, in a certain way and we have never done that. But thanks be to God that you sent Jesus Christ to come into this world to rid us from this sin that we rightfully are owed death. But God, in your mercy, these sins that we've committed were nailed to Jesus on the cross and they died with him. They were paid for once and for all. And now, as he was raised to newness of life, that resurrection power now lives in us, uh, those of us who are your people. And now we have a new life. We are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. God, help us live a life that pleases you. Allow us and, and remind us and convict us that it is not our faith in our faith that saves. It is our faith in you that saves. It's our faith in you that allows us to live, move, and breathe, and do everything that you called us to. Help us make those distinctions in our life to remind us of what we are called to and how we do it. God, we thank you so much for your word, for how it reveals all truth to us, how it saves, how it sanctifies us. Uh, it, is, it is so desirable. It's more desirable than fine honey or gold. So we just worship you in this time, and we thank you for allowing us to be washed by your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.